Hi there. I just want to thank you so much for your positive response and feedback to this podcast. It's really an honor to be able to share these Kabbalah teachings with you. And um, I really appreciate those who have reached out to me. You can always reach out to me. I'm rabbi at jewishndg.com. I also wanted to let you know that what I did for you is I just started uh, this new website called theloverabbi.com. And if you go to shop, I put up all of the new Kabbalah courses that I'm giving. And you can literally just purchase those courses right there. There's a special introductory rate for you. I have... Um, Kabbalah mindfulness, turning door walls into doorways, the Kabbalah of dreams. I have concepts in Kabbalah, Kabbalah for everyone, the power of forgiveness, what are my values, and a bunch of courses there that you can just download. You can be able to watch them and um, get the resources there on your own time, at your own time. And of course, I'm always available to answer your questions. So it's really a win-win uh, for everyone. And I really encourage you to go there and to take a look at it. It's theloverabbi.com, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-R-A-B-B-I.com. And just go to shop and you'll see all the really great stuff there. You'll also see all the other great stuff on the website. And uh, in any case, thank you so much again and looking forward to seeing you soon. I wanted to let you know that on Sunday, January 10th, I'm going to be starting a new course called Concepts in Kabbalah. It's going to be on Zoom. It's going to be a live course, a six-part series, where I'm going to go through the basic concepts in Kabbalah. So an introduction to Kabbalah, a God and the Ladder Up, Tzimtzum, the Sefirot, the Four World. It's going to be highly interactive and an opportunity for you to really delve into uh, the mystical elements of Kabbalah and really get an idea of the concepts and the words that are used in Kabbalistic literature. Uh, there's a small cost for it, and I really hope that you can attend and join me on this uh, incredible journey. It's going to be starting again Sunday night, January 10th, and it's going to go for six Sundays. You can uh, go on jewishndg.com to apply for it, or you can just look at the Eventbrite link in the show notes to this episode. And now on with today's class. Tonight, we are talking about the Kabbalah of happiness. Here's my first question. Just rapid fire, give me some answers. Are you happy? Not everybody at once now. Sometimes. Yes. Yes. It's a moment to moment. Moment to moment. Yes, yes, yes. No? No. Okay, yeah? Yes? Yes. Okay. How are you happy? Is my next question. Good health. Good health. I hear health. Yes. Who else? Next. Accomplishments. 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 Goals. Yeah. Okay. Goals are shorter. <laughs> Respect. Respect. Relationships. Relationships. Intrinsic. Intrinsic. Explain that for us. 
Then zinc. Okay. Do you have anything specific when you say intrinsic? Yeah, just like a general for no reason. So internal. Internal. Okay. Okay. You can be happy for other people. For others. For others. For others. For others. Okay. Happy because we have peace. Peace. Yeah. Anyone else? State of mind. So a lot of people we didn't hear it from, okay? State of mind. Yeah, we should cover up the word taxes. It doesn't fit there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's just taxes. Everything that makes people happy. Peace and taxes. Yeah. It's also a question of being in tune with the moment. In tuned, okay. Like, know how to have the proper expectations. Okay. So we have. So we have some very specific ways of defining happiness. On this page, and I think it really goes through quite the gamut of, of various experiences. State of mind, health, goals, respect, relationships, intrinsic, for others, peace, in tuned. Now, here's my next question. How do you define happiness? I think it's uh, a lot of little moments and a few big moments. Little moments. And a few big moments. Big, big moments. Hmm. Children. 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 You define how, how do you define happiness? Marriage. Marriage. You want, you're asking for examples or for an actual definition? How do you define happiness? I'm asking for a definition. Peace. Peace, okay. It's a state of mind. It's a state of mind. Oh, there, yeah. I've contentment. What I find it fascinating is when I ask, how are you happy? We got a lot of answers really quickly. But when I ask to define happiness, which is basically the same question, there's no difference between the two questions. The proof is that a lot of the same answers came up. But it was much harder to try to define happiness than when I ask you, how are you happy? Now, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is longer. Happiness is longer, I hear. Joy is temporary. Joy is temporary, happiness is longer. Happiness is for self, and joy is for others. Happiness for self, joy for others. I think joy is more important, and happiness is more... Um, Macro, micro? Okay. 
Happiness is macro, joy is micro. Is that right? Based on what you're saying? The opposite. The opposite. Happiness is micro? Yes. Okay. You need a reason for joy, but you might need a you need a reason for joy, but you may not need a reason for happiness. Fascinating. That's what we're talking about tonight. The difference between joy and happiness. That's it. And if you come out of tonight's talk with a proper definition and difference, I'll consider that a success. You may come out with some other stuff as well. Does anybody want this on the board? Anyone still need this? Writing that down? No, I'm happy to erase My eraser. Next question. The secret to staying happy is? Medication. <laughs> Medication for 200. Challenging yourself. Faith. Boundaries. Boundaries. Right. Challenge, faith, giving, boundaries. Did I miss one? Giving. Giving. That's it? Four things? Okay, that's good. We've solved the world's problems. Let's go home. Receiving. Receiving. The secret to staying happy. Grow. 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 Growing. Acceptance. Acceptance. Can everybody see this board? Support. The markers are really bad. The markers yes, are bad. Yes, there is. Huh? I'm getting <laughs> Support. Support. Anything else? Friendship. Friendship. Okay. So look, we have acceptance, challenge, faith, boundaries, giving and receiving, growing support and friendship as the secret of staying happy. Let's go into our books, page 14. If you'll open your books. Here's our defining question for this evening. Are we really happy? Or are we just 
resigned to our lot. And at some point we just say, as the Mishnah says, that who is happy? One who is happy with what they have. One who is happy with their lot. Because that's happiness. And that's what the Mishnah says. Happiness is an emotional state we achieve when we find ourselves in an ideal situation. The more ideal the situation, the longer we have dreamed of the opportunity, the happier we are. Conversely, we're saddened when we're denied our dreams, when our state of affairs leaves us what to be desired. How do we know when we're happy? How do we know when it's good to be happy? Is, is the secret always being happy? Is the secret just accepting who we are? Is the secret challenging ourselves to grow and become better, to become stronger, to become more faithful? Is the secret faith? Just believe in a higher power and all will be good? Is the secret boundaries? Set yourself the right boundaries. Know when to turn off your phone to stay happy. Is the secret giving, giving to others? Is the secret being able to receive? Some people are very good at giving but have a difficult time receiving. Some people are very good at receiving, have a difficult time giving. They're both important. Is that the secret to happiness? Is the secret to happiness growing? Constantly striving to become a better person. Constantly striving to be better today than you were yesterday. It's a secret of support. It says, you know a person by the people they hang out with. Do we have to have the right support around us? It's a secret friendship, having good friends. It's very interesting that somebody said friendship, because if you look at the Talmud, the Talmud says, Asei lecharav, kana lechachaver. It says, acquire for yourself a rabbi, and then uh, find for yourself a rabbi, and then buy yourself a friend. That's what it says. It uses that term, buy a friend. Does that, it mean the same person? No, it doesn't have to necessarily be the same person. It just means that what the Talmud essentially is saying is that it's, more important, it's so important to have a friend that if you have to buy a friend, buy a friend. If it, take, if it takes buying lunch all the time, that may be it. Yes, that's the power of friendship. Tamura. Sure. So let's. Close your eyes for a moment. I want you to. Envision your fantasy life. What would your fantasy life include? If you had everything you wanted, if money wasn't an issue, if your experience didn't take effect, if who you are, your nurture, your nature, if you had no limitations, as they say, the sky is the limit. What would that be? 
What would you want? Would you want more money? Would it be a nicer home? Would it be more self-disciplined? Would it be more vacations? Better health? Better relationships? Think about it physical. Think about it emotional. Think about it spiritual. Whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes and write it down on your paper. Just write it down. Whatever it is, write it down. Thought. Thought, says Kabbalah, thought creates. The power of our thinking. We think, what is it? I just thought. There was once a great master. His name was the Baal Shem Tov. He was the founder of the Hasidic movement. He was sitting in the study room and all his students were sitting there and he hears one of his students scream across the study room, I'm going to tear you apart like a fish. He puts up his hands. He stops the studying. He says to his students, come around, come around. They come around. They all put hands on one another's shoulder. And they close their eyes. And they can envision, the students relate, how this young man is ripping the other person apart. They open their eyes. And the Baal Shem Tov says to them, what you say is so powerful that in the heavens it really happens. The power of your words. We all know the power of our actions. It's obvious. If you take a room and you want to paint it, the action of painting the room, when you're done, the room is a different color. What we do, we can see the fruits of our labor most of the time when we use our hands. Our words, sometimes we use them carelessly. So the Baal Shem Tov was saying something so profound, something that maybe his students had never heard before. That the power of words, that in the heavens, words create. And then the Baal Shem Tov finishes and says, if that's the power of actions, and that's the power of words, how much stronger is the power of thoughts? The thoughts truly create. So if we're going to think, we can't, it's not possible, it will happen. We will manifest those thoughts. I'm sure this is not something that you are hearing for the first time right now. 
It's very common. It's become like the mantra of the self-help industry. Thoughts create. Everyone's talking about it today. Every motivational speaker is talking about the power of thoughts and the power of thoughts and what you do and creating through thought. And this is obvious. It's become just part of who we are today. But tonight, we're going to take it a whole step further. We're going to talk about thought and the power of thought. But in the middle, I'm going to mix in some more. Do you believe me if I tell you that your fantasy life, whatever you wrote down on your paper, can come true? Yes. Do you believe me? Yes. You sure? Yeah. I'm telling you it can come true. But I'm going to tell you the secret of how it will become true. For those of you who have been following the past two weeks, I'm compounding some of our studies. So you're going to hear some of the same things, but in a different light. It will only come true if you have the vessel to hold it. You can only hold as much water as the cup will hold. Your fantasy life will only come true if you have the ability to hold that fantasy life. Your thoughts are not going to be good enough. Sorry. Your thoughts are amazing. Your thoughts can manifest. But I would be wrong if I would tell you that thoughts alone are going to create. You need to have something in this world Kabbalah says that our job is to make this world a better place, to live within this world. Thoughts are not going to do it alone. We need to have something that will hold it in this world, a vessel big enough. You have big fantasies, no problem. Get a big jar. Get a barrel. Then you can put wine inside. Your fantasy will come true, but you need to be the person that will hold it. The same thing works for everything in life. Relationships. I'll just take this example and bring it right into relationships. You know, I can do the same thing. I want you to close your eyes. You don't have to do it now. And write your whole list of all the things you dream about your partner will be, if you're not married. Or even if you are, but... (laughs) And then I want you to open your eyes. And you'll have your whole nice list there. Will you find that person? Of course you will. If you are the vessel for that person. If you are the complement to the person you're looking for, you will find that person. But you need to be, if you're looking for this, I don't know, whatever, this person who is like incredible, Stunning, powerful. I don't know all the words that everybody uses today. You're looking for that person. Look at yourself and say, can I be in a relationship with the person I'm looking for? It's that simple. Am I the complement of the person I'm looking for? Relationship takes two. Takes two to tango. If you can't handle the person, what are you looking for? I'm just, and you can literally take this example and put it into every aspect of your life. I just gave you one, one idea right there. Now, I love to meet the person who says, honestly, 
I'm living my fantasy life. I cannot imagine a thing I'd want to change. Does anybody want to be that person? Yes. Huh? The person who says, my life right now is so perfect I cannot think of changing a thing. That means you're not wrong to say that. So I want to hear, so you say yes, tell me why. Because I worked hard to get there and I achieved everything. Now I'm happy with my achievements and I'm going to make the most of it once it's at that level of happiness. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What now? Well, it's bound to go wrong. <laughs> and then you're going to have to work with it again. But if you can be absolutely contented for that one moment, it's worth it. Okay. So, yeah. I'm happy living alone. But I appreciate friendship. Okay. So, yeah. Is your goal, long term and short term, uh, involved or improve constant new uh, goals to have on your horizon? That, like, okay, we get that as an end from there, we just try to get the next bit. But that's not. But that's not this person. We're talking about a person if I can be so bold to say, that just says, I'm happy, I'm living my life, and I don't want to change anything. Kabbalah does not like this person. Nothing against you. The Kabbalah doesn't like this person because in life, we're either going up or down. We're never stagnant. We'll never stay the same. We'll never plateau. We're either going up or down. And if we're not consciously rising higher, we are passively moving lower. And there's a lot of people who think that they're staying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm okay. But they're really passively going lower. And they don't realize it until they look around a year later, two years later, and say, what just happened? I'm a nice person. I'm a good person. You start, and all the things you used to think you were, and then you look at some of the things you're doing, and you say, what happened to me? What happened to me is I wasn't growing. That's happiness, right? Somebody defined happiness. Kabbalah wants us to constantly be actively growing. Did any, if anyone ever tells you this life is supposed to be easy, the purpose of life is to get to a place where things are easy, they're wrong. That is not the purpose of life. That's not what we should be striving for. It's a mistake. It's hurting a lot of people because... People look at people who are successful, they say, that's my goal. My goal is to just be at a place where I don't have to worry about money anymore. The secret, though, is you're going to worry about something. You may sound good to be in that place. King Solomon says that it's harder to be a rich person than a poor person. He said a, poor, a rich person worries much more than a poor person. So Kabbalah wants us to constantly be growing, constantly be in an upward spiral, doing something. And it doesn't have to be everything. It has to be something a little bit better today than I did yesterday. That's it. It doesn't have to be, let's conquer the world in a day. We're going to become the greatest, the quintessential human being. We're going to change the face of the human race. Relax. Balance. We'll talk about that next week. Balance is slow. Progress, little by little. So the point is that you work a little by little. When you look back 
two years later, you say, wow, I did change. I am a little better today than I was two years ago. That's success. As long as you're constantly on an upward spiral, constantly, slowly growing, that is the key. We'll talk a little more about that next week, but I'm going to go somewhere else now. My next question, is true happiness possible? Is it possible to get to this place where we're just happy, where we're, 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 we're truly happy? Yeah. Yes, if you leave all your hardships behind. If you leave all of your hardships behind. I like that, I can't, I can't debate that one. Anyone else? Sure. When you say truly happy, you mean like always endlessly? Yeah. Yeah. For example, what happened today in Jerusalem, things happen in life that are very unhappy and we need to experience those unhappy moments as well. So you're asking a very powerful question. What you're saying is, should you always be happy? Should you be happy at a funeral? Should you be happy when you hear that four innocent souls are butchered in a synagogue while they're praying? What does happiness mean? What do we do? If we want to define and we want to try to get to a place where we're always happy, what does that look like? That's what I want to show you tonight. You okay with that? You interested? You can try it? Okay. So, let's go back to the middle of page 14. Considering all this, is true happiness possible? Can anyone claim to be living an ideal life? Can we be happy with mediocrity? Yes, we all have fleeting moments of true happiness when we experience an event that is so wonderful that it temporarily blocks out all the other less than ideal aspects of our life. But to be happy with life itself? That would seem to be the domain of those life forms that lack the ability to dream and imagine. I believe that as a society, we confuse happiness with acceptance. Someone who accepts their flawed life with a smile, refusing to succumb to depression, that is so often accompanies the emotional state, is considered a happy person. In truth, such a person has successfully reconciled with his lot, realizing that dreams are just that, dreams. But that, can that be happiness? Could be, it just be happy? This is who I am. I'm okay with it. Flaws and all, garbage and all, good days and bad days, in sickness and in health, forever do us part. 
I will be happy. Is that okay? Is that the ideal? Is that the quintessential happy person? Or is that just being a realist? Is there something more? Is that it? If we stop at this moment right here, would you all be fine and say, that's it. Just accept it all. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. But don't worry about it. Some days you're going to wake up yay. Some days you're going to wake up nay. It'll be okay. Good? Not satisfied? Why not? That's life. Some days you're happy, some days you're sad. You, know? you can't be happy 24-7. It sounds, compl- it sounds complacent. Sounds complacent. Sounds, it's, it's possible. Like, that's it. Okay, I'm hearing two sides. Yeah, that could be said also less if we would accept everything. I mean, we, we kill our goals and everything. So. Ah, we need something Fascinating. So he says that we're, we're, we're killing our goals. If we have dreams and aspirations, we destroy them because I'm happy, it's okay. It'll be okay. Okay, sarah, sarah. Hold on, hold on, yeah. Another offer of when uh, I think like the times that I have been the happiest, even when I'm not having such a good day or whatever, it was almost like an exercise to find what's good about this situation, whatever it is. I find that, you know, like, even in the worst thing, like, what, what's something that could be seen as positive? So the silver lining. Yeah. Trying to find the silver lining got very popular. It won an Oscar. No, I, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying against it. So I, can I, is it okay? Can I, can I take what you said and, and bring it to everyone? So if you just live your life, Kesara finding the silver lining. Is that good? Are we good? Can we finish the class? Are we done? Can we go home? Is that good? Are you happy with that? It's pretty good. I mean, that's... I'll be happy. I mean, that's definitely a level I haven't gotten to. So, But if, if you just finish there and there, are we good? Finding, look, look, even look, we're going to find the silver lining. We're going to try to find something that we can learn. Look at all the people, and unfortunately, it takes these terrible, horrific acts to bring out, you know, the unity and the and people calling me, what can I pray, what can I do, I want to do something more Jewish. That's the phone calls I was getting this morning. Unfortunately, that's what the reaction people have. It's a good reaction, because there's nothing we can do to explain a horrific, horrific, disgusting, despicable act. But our reaction is all we have. So maybe that's a silver lining. I, I, I'm not here to, to, to try to, to define it, but saying trying to live our lives, as Ali said, with this silver, with this silver lining, are we satisfied with that? Can we go home? Okay. Let's move on. Let's try to see if we can go a step further. Many of the greatest thinkers and contributors in the fields of philosophy, science, government, were well known for their melancholy. Could it be, just asking this one, could it be that their keen intellect and perception prevented them from settling for imperfection? I'll tell you something interesting. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. A couple of days ago, I was walking down Monkland, and this lady falls. She falls to the ground. And obviously, in that moment, you're in the moment. But when I was able to reflect in the moment, I saw two types of people. 
I saw the people who stopped, stood dead in their tracks, literally froze. Hands like this, I don't know what to do. There's people standing there, froze. There were a couple of people who just walked by. And then there was this woman who was running around frantic. Like, someone help this lady, someone help this lady. She's like frantic. All three of these, all three of these ways of responding to a crisis are wrong. We, we stop, freeze, that's not a good thing. Frantic is not going to help anyone, or for sure walking by is not going to help anyone. If you look at somebody who deals with crisis a lot, you're going to see something fascinating. Whenever crisis happens, this is what you do. I'll tell you the secret. This is a Kabbalistic secret. I don't know if it's made its way into the world. Kabbalah says like this. You stop, hands on your side, head down like this for a second. Decide what to do and do it. Kabbalah says the following. Putting your head down focuses you. It concentrates you. You put your head up to remember. You put your head down to focus. Head up to try to remember something. Head down to focus. The best way to respond to crisis is right away get into position. Hands on the side, head down. You're going to see people who do it. This is, I, 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 I do it all the time. It's amazing. Yes. Is that why you see a lot of religious people just walking down with their head down? I don't say all the time. Maybe they're always in crisis. Maybe they're always in crisis. No, they're putting their head down because they don't want to see anything. It's different, different head down. You can also put your head down to put yourself in a little bubble. But I'm saying in crisis mode, try, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. If you're at work and, and you have so much coming, just stop. Stop a moment, put your head down, arms on your side, focus. And here I am, I'm watching this whole scene unfold right in front of me. I was actually pretty far away. I was, I was like half a block away, but I could see what was going on. When I got there, I didn't have to, I had my head down and my, I was doing that as I was walking. By the time I got there, I already had my phone out. I already had 911 on the phone. I already, I was already, I, I, had, I, had, I had told people to, to step away. You know, she had fallen. You're not supposed to, in case she broke something, you have to touch the, the person, just unless you know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I was able to do the best I could. They came and everything was fine and, and they took care of it. But we need, this is a very important trait to have. We need people who can focus in a time of crisis because crisis will happen. Unfortunately, the Israelis have gotten very good at that. And a lot of Israelis are, 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 are perfect. They, they, they know how to focus and zone in on something, even if there's so much noise around them and everybody's frantic around them. I'll tell you something else interesting. Kabbalah says that if you, when somebody is trying to remember something, they put their head up, right? But they put their head up to the right because that is where... I don't know science, but that is where the remembering side is. And the imagination is on the left. So if someone's trying to create something, they're going to put their head up to the left. So if you speak to somebody and they say, let me remember that, and their head is to the left, what are they doing? They're lying. 
That's your right. Remember, your right is their left. If you have to watch them, if you see them put their head off to the right, to your right, which is their left, they're lying. You do it naturally? Yep. You can't, you can't avoid that unless you're pathological. Studies have shown that they've done that, but it's usually they notice with the eyes. The eyes. The, the, yeah, the eyes, the eyes you can't avoid where the eyes are going to go because you don't have complete control over where your eyes are going to go. And if your brain is focusing on something, you can't, your eyes can't be fooled. You can't, unless you're pathological, but yeah. So, just a little bit of uh, the secrets. So, Here we are. We're equating happiness with material possessions and accomplishments. Most, most of us do that. We think about happy, we think about, I don't know what you wrote in your paper in the beginning of tonight's class, but you think about physical things, things that you want to do, places you want to go, people, excuse me, people you want to see. You think about physical things. But what about the quest for spirituality? Can't a meaningful, Spiritual life be a source of happiness? Well, the truth is the spiritual picture isn't rosier. On the contrary, human nature and spirituality are some opposites. For the vast majority of people, a self-analysis reveals that the endeavor to be spiritual or godly is practically impossible. It's like a leopard trying to change its spots, or any other cliche you want to use. So, and here is the Kabbalah that I want to get to tonight. I'm going to tell you how you know. I'm going to give you a very simple ingredient in your life, a way of thinking, if you allow me, that will allow you to know whether you're going to be happy or you're not going to be happy. And this is what it is. I, I touched on it a bit in the first lesson, but I want to talk about it quite a bit more tonight. I did the same exact thing in our first lesson. Sorry about the pen. Selfish and selfless. Think of anything you want to think of. Anything in your life, any event that happens, anything that you want, anything that you desire, any fantasy you have, anything, and just try to define it. Is it selfless or selfish? Think about everything. Think about who you are. Think about where you go, what you want to do. Think about your relationships. Think about your business. Selfish or selfless? It is this, this is it. Kabbalah says, this is the secret to happiness. Nothing else is as important as this. You're gonna find, you can have two things. You wanna make money. You wanna make money for what reason? Is it selfish or is it selfless? If you wanna make money for selfish reasons, you will be depressed. You wanna make money for selfless reasons, you will be happy. Selfish people are depressed. Selfless people are happy. 
Let's go a step further. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Spirituality is selfless. Human nature is selfish. So I put a definition here in your book. Selflessness, I define, or Kabbalah defines, as total commitment to a higher cause, utter revulsion for any act that is detrimental to the aforementioned cause. That is a definition of selfless. Selfish is the commitment to self-gratification will only renounce a self-gratifying act in favor of something that is even more self-gratifying, has no concern for any cause other than their own. That's selfish. So, Kabbalah talks about two souls. There's two souls. There is a animal soul. There is a godly soul. There's actually two souls within us. Where's our soul? Do our eyes see? Do, do, do our eyes? Do you, wh- wh- how do we see? Through our eyes? How do we hear? Through our ears? Yeah. How do we smell? Through our nose? How do we see? Through our lips? Right? You ever talk to somebody who had an out-of-body experience? You ever hear anyone on YouTube talking about out-of-body experiences? They always say, I hear a very similar thing, I could see it so clearly, I could see everything. Wait a second, wait, were you in your body or were you out of your body? What are you talking about? You could see everything so clearly. Kabbalah says that it's not our eyes that see, it's not our ears that hear, it's not our nose that smells, our soul sees and our ears here. But while we're in this body like a wick in a flame, our soul cannot be connected to this world on its own. It needs the body to be the wick that connects us to this world, the world being the candle. So in order for our soul, the flame, to be connected to the candle, we need the wick, and that's the body. So while our soul is within the body, it uses our eyes to see. It uses our nose to smell, it uses our ears to hear. That is how it's within time and place. Something that is a soul that's beyond time and place is now put into time and place so that it could live and function and be in this world. Fascinatingly, I'll just make a note, all those methodologies are holes. They're all holes. The soul from inside is expressing itself. That's how the soul expresses itself you'll find that there's, they all have openings for the soul to express itself. Now, within our soul, within, our, within who we are, there are two souls. We have the animal soul, our natural soul. It's who we are, it's who we're born with. Our natural soul is not the devil. It's not evil. It's a, it's, that's Christian. We don't have that. Sorry, wrong religion. Go next door. The, the natural soul is just like an animal. It desires. Why do you, why do you eat? Anyone have a good, I want a good reason. Why do you eat? To live. No, 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 no. 
everybody knows to live. Everyone knows to taste good. Why do you eat? To satisfy. Why? Why? I want to know the deep meaning of eating. <laughs> Why do you have to eat so much? Why? What a waste of time. Sleep. You know, I waste so much time in my life. So many, I can do so many good things in my life. Sleeping, what a waste of time. Couldn't we be, wouldn't we be much better off not sleeping? Look at what we can accomplish. Not sleeping. Why? But why? It seems like such a waste of time. For what? Thank you. There's no proof. There's absolutely no way to prove why we need to sleep or why we need to eat. You know why? It's a desire. There's no brain in your heart. There's no brain in your heart. There's no way to understand primal needs. So that same idea. Now we're trying to understand primal needs right now. We have a primal soul. It's like an animal. It's no different than an animal. If we don't do anything, if we're passive our entire lives, we will still have to be an animal. Which means if we don't accomplish, if we don't work, if we don't get out of our beds, we still will have to eat, sleep, and go to the bathroom. The same way an animal does. So we could, if we want to, passively or actively, choose to be an animal. It's the natural part of us, it's obvious, it's our nature, it's who we are. We're the primal, we like that steak. The same way the animal likes to devour its meat. There's a second soul within us. It's called the godly soul. The godly soul is that part of us that wants to rise higher, that wants to accomplish, that wants to be successful, that wants to make this world a better place. The difference is one basic difference. The primal nature is selfish. The godly is selfless. That's how you know if what you're doing is primal or what you're doing is godly. Selfish or selfless. You can sleep to be well rested so you can go out and do tikkun olam. Yes. You eat so you have strength so you can do good work. Yes. It's not selfish. It could, it, because it's primal, does not I, on its own mean that it's selfish. Look, the things that we do to stay healthy and to be strong benefits the world if you use your waking hours for the betterment of yourself. I'm, your using, I'm using my primal soul to teach you now. If my godly soul was just teaching you, it would sound very different. The words coming out of my mouth would sound different. So the point being that there are the primal soul there can also be selfless. It can't be totally selfish. That's what I'm saying. It's not... See, that's what I'm trying to differentiate. If you want to differentiate between what's primal, it doesn't necessarily mean eating and sleeping is primal. It's selfish versus selfless that's primal. I'll tell you something interesting. Actually, Kabbalah says that there is a physical place where the two souls live. Did anyone ever hear this before? There's actually a physical place within the body where these two souls live. The primal soul, the animal soul, lives in the left ventricle of the heart. What does the left ventricle of the heart do? What is the... Louder? It pumps the blood. Is there any part of your body without blood? 
Where does it all come from? So, does that make sense when we say that the primal soul, the animal soul, is our nature? It's everywhere? It uses the blood to get around. Now, listen to this one. Where is the divine soul? Where's the godly soul? So we say the right ventricle I heard. Where? Any other guesses? Come on. Same spot, the left ventricle. No, that wouldn't make sense because the, then they would both be all over. The godly soul is in the brain. The godly soul is in the brain. Mind over heart. Kabbalah says 51 to 49, your mind should dominate your heart. Now let me tell you the opposite. What happens when you get angry? What happens when you get angry? Come on. Your left ventricle pumps the blood faster to where? Thank you. The physical. So you can watch the primal animal soul taking over the godly soul physically. You can see it in a person. The animal taking over the godly. Yes. What did we say? Lesson one? What did we say? Take a step back. Take a step back. Think. Think. I'm, gonna, I'm adding to my take a step back and head down. Step back, head down. Think, focus. Breathe. 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 Thank you. Think, focus, breathe. Do not... Here's another very important way that you know that it's animalistic. If you have to have it. If you have to have it, you shouldn't have it. There's nothing that you have to have. You ever go to some of these synagogues, and when the prayers are over on Saturday morning, there's usually a buffet in the back of the room or in another room. You ever watch the way people go to those buffets? I don't go to synagogue very much. So every so often when I'm in a place where I see that, it just shocks me. The way people run like they never ate. They've never seen. After Yom Kippur. They're running for the food. For what? What are you running for? If you need to run that much for your food, don't get it. Don't try. You don't need it. Anything you need, you don't need it's an old Yiddish saying. Vas metarnish tarmanish. Avervas memeg darfmanished. Which translates, what you can't have, you can't have. But what you can have, you don't need. So here's the next piece of your thing. The first one, judge selfish for selfless. Number two, do I need it? If you need it, think twice. There's nothing that you need. People can survive three days without food. 
There's somebody, there's somebody I know, but I think she's on her 200th day of juicing. You don't need it. She's still alive. You need peace of mind to be connected with heaven. It's nice, but do you need it? Need is a very powerful word. Desire. But the reason why it's so complicated for us to be able to really understand this is because it's not, there's no brain in our heart. These are things, they're emotions that we're trying to define. So what, we're, what Kabbalah wants to do is give you pointers, things that when you see you're, you're gravitating, your, your impulse, you can't even take the same reason why we don't know why we sleep, we don't know why we eat, we don't know why we desire, why that impulse is gravitating us towards that thing. And what Kabbalah says is question the impulse. <clears throat> question your impulse. It may be a good thing. It may be the right thing. Just question it first. That's all we're asking. It may take a grand total of 10 seconds to question it. But question it. Think about it. Experience it. You don't... You know, if there is a... What do they have? These flash, these flash things where you have five seconds. You got to get it to the, when the hockey season I know from Jason that when, when they have all the extra tickets of the hockey season they have like you have like two minutes and they sell all the extra tickets for the hockey season most people are, are planning it anyway and it's not really impulsive it's a bad example but there are things that they, 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 the, the, the marketing people are working they're psychologists they have been training long and hard to sell you that thing we have become products of marketing geniuses. And you, okay, I don't watch much TV, but every so often, I'm in a hotel or something, I turn on the TV, and it just like sticks out at me like, yes, I need Dove shampoo. <laughs> I really, wow, Dove shampoo, that's the one. I need Tide. Tide will make my clothes cleaner. <laughs> And it looks so good. Look at those cereals and the way that the glue is poured in so perfect. Oh, I mean the milk. <laughs> we have become the products of people that spend millions of dollars to get our money. They're spending millions of dollars to get our money. You paid for the ad that sold you the product. What Kabbalah says way before marketing ever happened. Kabbalah knew that one day we live in a world where we have 3,000 messages hitting us a day. 3,000 advertising messages hitting us from all directions. You cannot move today without an advertiser. You cannot have any peace of mind because if you go to a movie, they have product placement in the movies. One of the most brilliant things that Apple ever did was it signed a, a contract with all of Hollywood that if you have a computer in a movie, you have to use an Apple. 
And no one realizes, but every show and every movie you watch, you see that Apple little sign. And no one realizes it. You never, never, you never see the IBM sign, you see the Apple sign. Looks good on the screen. The nice little Apple popping up. But you know what? Apple went from 8% to now 48% of their market share of computers. Because they did product placement. These are people who are brilliant. They're sending you these messages. When I was studying film, we were allowed to take a commercial and piece it apart and see it frame by frame. Do you know how many subliminal messages there are in these commercials? There are things. The frames are one hundredth of a second. You would never know it existed. They are putting things into your brain that you have no idea what they're putting into your brain. Hundreds of things that you don't even realize. But they're making it a way that when you're in the supermarket and you see all the options there, you're going to grab that one. That's their job. Their job is to transfer that thought. They're psychologists and they're brilliant. And Kabbalah knew this one day this would happen and we need this information more than any generation in history because we have to be able to differentiate and understand a desire and an emotion. And the first part of that, selfish for selfless, and the second part of that is question the impulse. There's no such thing. You know, there are people, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go one step into this. There are people whose job is to decide what's going to be in the checkout aisle. They're called impulse items. Do you know the checkout line is a $100 billion industry? People spend $100 billion a year on things in the checkout line. Impulse items. They're left there from the show. <laughs> <laughs> Question the impulse. That's the next step. Last paragraph of 15. Almost absurdly, the human being, the crown jewel of creation, is the only creature that possesses an anti-spiritual nature. All other creations, from the most celestial angel to a lowly earthworm, do exactly what their creator wants them to do. And they have no desire whatsoever to stray one iota from their divine mission. Imagine this. Imagine you created this table. You did it. You worked on it. You took a piece of wood. You cut down the tree. And you started sanding the wood. And you cut it to size. And then you made these beautiful, nice legs. And you fashioned them so nice. You spent time, really, like a real craftsman. And you put them into place with nice little bolts. And you had a table right there. And you finished the table. And you're about to take your dinner and sit down at your new, brand new, newly fashioned table. And the table looks at you and says, Nice knowing you. See you around. I've got people to see. 
things to do. There's a world out there. I'll be gone and you watch the table, walk right by you. You're like, Dudski. I just made you. You belong to me. Where are you going? There's a world out there. I'll see you later. Parents, parents have a, a bit of an appreciation for this idea with their children. They have these children, they raise them from their little, and at some point the child says, okay, got this, I've got a world to see, I'll see you later. And the parent is just like, what? Well, hold on, you were like two years old and you're not, you weren't going. And what? That's what God did to us. They say that it's only through... They say that it's only through parenting that we can truly appreciate God. Because God took one creation in all the cosmos, one creation, and put within that creation a desire to do anything. Which means anything can leave, can say God doesn't exist, can leave God, can can question God, can do virtually anything. There's only one creature, and that's us. Every other creature, every animal, every species, every worm, everything has the ability to just do what God said and nothing else. Only the human being can do something against the Creator. That's free choice. Now, whatever free choice is, we're not going to get into that tonight. But that's the idea of free choice, that we really have the ability to deny, to deny God. We are like the table. God says, here you are. You're like, eh, yeah, whatever. You never made me anyway. What do you mean? I, I just, you know, I've been working for like three years on you. I, you're my baby. <laughs> no, no, you never made me. <laughs> yeah, right, you made me. Look, I, okay, you know, there was a big bang, okay? And all of a sudden, all the tables appeared, Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. It just like there's a big explosion in all the tables just existed. You know. This guy once came to a great rabbi and he says, uh, how do you explain creation? You know, come on. Don't you believe there was a big bang? He's like, yeah, sure. I believe that a bottle of ink spilled and turned into a book. <laughs> it's an amazing idea that God did to us. And we have to appreciate Creation and what is a higher power to understand that God literally made us with free choice. We can choose any way we want. And why are we sitting here? We're sitting here to try to educate ourselves and understand what way to choose. But we can only choose if we know how to choose, what to choose. So, selfish for selfless, question the impulse. Next part, page 16. So can we be happy with our spiritual identity in nature? It can be argued that such contentment only serves to dangerously bolster and legitimize our egotistical natures. We haven't answered the most important question. We're on the road to this. 
We understand some of the ingredients of it, but we still don't know. And I don't want you to leave here tonight until I've told you how to attain happiness. Not my ideas, the Kabbalah's ideas. Where does true happiness come from? Rabbi Zaman of Liadi in the Tanya, chapter 31, he says the following. I, I wrote it here. You can just follow me. I'm going to read it word for word. He says, In order to comfort his heart in double measure, let him say to his heart, Indeed, without a doubt, I am far removed, utterly remote from God. And am despicable. But all this is true only of me, that is, of my body and the animating soul within it. Yet within me there is a veritable part of God, namely the divine soul and the spark of godliness itself clothed in it, animating it. It is only that divine soul is in exile because it inhabits such a lowly body. Therefore, I will make it my entire aim and desire to extricate it from this exile and to return her to her father's home as in her youth, as it was before being clothed in my body, when it was completely absorbed in God's light and united with him. Now too will it likewise be absorbed and united with him once again, when I concentrate all my aspirations on Torah and on mitzvot. This then should be one's lifelong service of God with great joy, the joy of the soul upon leaving the loathsome body and returning during one's study of Torah and service of God to her father's house as in her youth. Surely there is no joy as great as that of being released from exile and captivity. Truly, truly there is no joy of that being released from exile and captivity. In the couple of years I've lived in this world, I've, as a rabbi, I've been able to witness some incredible things. But there's something that I witnessed in my life that was more incredible than anything else I ever witnessed. Aside from family events. But outside of, as a rabbi, it's one thing I witnessed that was more incredible than anything else. I happened to be, I, I worked for a year, some of you know this, I worked for a year for the federal prison system in the U.S., being a chaplain, and I went around as the rabbi from prison to prison. I met prisoners, I spoke with them, I met a man on death row, had some incredible experiences. But one day I was in a prison, and the chaplain says to me, Will you be our guest? I said, uh, I, guess, I guess I'm not a guest. He said, no, 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 we have, a, we have a special event that's about to happen. We have a graduation, a high school graduation. There's prisoners who are here who never graduated high school. And the, 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 the federal system has started a new program where they're able to get their GED, their high school equivalency and their high school diploma within the prison system, trying to rehabilitate them. Would you, we have a graduation today, would you attend the graduation? And so, 
I graciously accepted, not having any idea what I was about to witness. And there it is. I walk in, and I'm sitting there watching this graduation. And the scene, I'll never forget the scene. This big guy, tattoos everywhere. He's like, he's big. This is the guy you do not want to meet in a dark alley. I cannot imagine why he's in prison. I don't even want to know. He's running off the stage and he gives his little mom, picks her up in her arms and he says, Mom, I did it, I did it, I did it, I graduated. Holding up his diploma like it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Here's a man that never imagined in his whole life that he would graduate high school. And he's holding a high school diploma in his hand. And one after another, the excitement, the one boy, this, maybe 20 years old, he gets up and he says, this is the greatest day of my life. I could see it in their eyes. They may have been in prison. But for those few seconds during that graduation, these prisoners were released. They were free. Because what happened at that moment, you could see it, is they went from being prisoners to endless possibilities. Because now they had a diploma, they can go to university. And this, the, 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 the prisoner said, I'm leaving, I'm, you know, my... my Time here is up in four months, and the prisoner said, I've already, I have, I, I know he's showing his acceptance letters that he's getting to universities. It's an amazing idea. You can't imagine. One night, it was Rosh Hashanah, and I was at the prison in Yankton. No, I was at the prison, that was a different year. I was at the prison in Homestead, Florida. And usually, I was able to stay somewhere near the prison, or I had a, I had a, a, a camper, uh, like a, an RV that I would take with me, because there's no, usually no hotels around. They're in the middle of nowhere, these prisons. But this particular time, there was no way to, uh, to have the RV, so I had to stay in the prison, in a cell, for Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and at first they were like, are you sure? I said, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drive. They, they, they thought I was crazy. It's Rosh Hashanah, I'm not driving on Rosh Hashanah. I have... I'm the rabbi, I'll stay in the cell. So one of the prisoners tried to, so we finished our service, I go back to my cell, and one of the prisoners tried to escape that night, at two o'clock in the morning, and we were on lockdown for 12 hours. Does anyone know what lockdown is? I've lived through lockdown. Let me tell you what it is, in case you don't know. The lights are off, no lights. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You're barred shut. You cannot do anything. It's just you. You can't read. You can't do anything. It's just you and your thoughts for 12 hours. That's it. You can't talk. You can't scream. There's guards everywhere. You're just sitting there laying there or sitting there. It's pitch dark. You can barely see the hand in front of you. Just you and your thoughts for 12 hours.
when it was over and we left and we went back into the shul, everybody was quiet. They had so much respect for me because they knew that I lived. You know, there's a lot of chaplains and a lot of rabbis that I'm sure have come through over the course of some of their time in prison. The chaplains themselves that they see all the time, but no one ever lived with them. No one ever experienced them. And they knew, they could see on my face that I had experienced what they experienced. The moment, that experience, when the bars, when the doors opened the cell, after that 12 hours, and you can walk out. I wasn't there for days. I wasn't there for weeks. I was there for two days and 12 hours of a lockdown. But that experience of being free is the most amazing experience you can ever imagine. We have no one, there's nobody there. I couldn't leave, if I wanted to leave, I could not leave the cell. Even I was a rabbi, I not even belong there. That was it, they told me, if anything happens, the one thing is, you know you're staying in a cell, you're gonna have to be like a prisoner. I didn't have a jumpsuit on, but I was in a cell. That experience of being free is happiness. So often, we create prisons for ourselves. We lock ourselves down. We put ourselves on lockdown. We create these superficial prisons around us. I can't do this. It's not possible. It's done. It's over. What the Alter Rebbe, what Rebbe Shneur Zalman is saying here, is be free. And freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is understanding that you can control your desires. People who are out of control, what, are they, what does that mean? You're out of control. I'm totally, I can't handle it. I'm out of control. Out of your control means you can't control your desires. Kabbalah says the person who can control their desires will be free forever. The goal is it doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that you can just do. And tomorrow morning, I said, I went to this Kabbalah class. It was, wow, it changed my life, my whole perception of the world. And now I'm free. No, it takes time. And over time, this is just a little bit of a taste of some of the ideas. But that's the goal. That's the third step that I want to talk about tonight. Selfless. Question the impulse. And then, be free. Control. Mind over heart. Mind dominating the heart. Which means, how does that work? I'm going to give you a very practical tool. As I promised, a practical tool. I want you to think about when you're happiest. You know, we all have a purpose here. We, don't, we think we don't know what our purpose is. People tell us, oh, you don't know what your purpose is because the moment you know what your purpose is, you're going to die. You're just going to do it and die. Not necessarily so, because your purpose doesn't have to necessarily be one thing. It could be something that happens over the course of your lifetime. But if you want to have an idea of what your purpose is, I'm going to tell you two secrets right now. Secret number one is whatever's hardest for you is your purpose. If it's something you really hate, probably something you should be doing. I'm saying not something that is bad, something that is good. If it's really hard for you to wake up in the morning, it's probably part of your purpose to wake up early. 
You should conquer that. That's a good thing to conquer. And the next thing is, think about the things that make you happy. Tonight, Iris made us dinner. For those of you who didn't have, still sitting out, you can have it after tonight's class. And Iris said something very profound to me. She said, when I make food, I'm happy. It's probably, probably, making food is probably part of Iris's purpose in this world. When I teach Kabbalah, I, I feel happy. I'm happy to teach Kabbalah. I love it. It's probably part of my purpose in this world to teach Kabbalah. Think about, you're going to find something in your life that really makes you happy. Not because people say you should be happy. Not because people are telling you this is going to make you happy. Not because the advertiser said you want to la 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 that you see on the commercial. There it is. There's the palm tree and the margarita. What is it? The, the, the margarita. And there it is. <laughs> You're going to be happy. It's not because some advertiser told you. If you think about it, there's things in your life that really make you happy, that really make you happy. That's part of your purpose in this world. So once again, two parts to think about. If it's really difficult for you, it's probably part of your purpose. And if it really makes you happy, it's really part of your purpose. Two opposites. Generally, you'll find Kabbalah will often talk about opposites because Kabbalah's purpose, just to give you an idea a little bit about what we're going to talk about next week, Kabbalah wants you to find balance. But in order to find balance, you have to go from one extreme to the other. And eventually, you'll find your way in the middle. You can't strive for the middle. You have to strive for one or the other. So that's why you're going to see a lot of ideas in Kabbalah are going to be diametrically opposed to help you navigate this world. And we'll finish up. Bottom of 16. True, the body remains loathsome. Yet his divine soul be more precious to him than his loathsome body, so that he rejoices in the soul's joy, without letting the sadness on account of his body interfere with or disturb the joy of the soul. And so, my friends, tonight, it comes down to this. And here's how I'd like to end off tonight's talk. Happiness depends on how we define ourselves. Which aspect of our personality we identify with. If we identify with our body and its nature, then the outlook is indeed bleak. If we identify with our souls, the godly spark within every one of us, then every mitzvah we do is an exhilarating moment of acute joy. Not despite the body, but because of it. Because there's no joy like being uplifted from the very depths to the highest of high. From the lower you come, the higher you can go. The righteous person is jealous of the person who, is, who, who, who can change and who can become better because from the lower you come, the higher you can go. The righteous person will plateau. They can only go so high. But if you come from a low place, then you have a greatness in the world. Something greater than even some of the greatest people have. Because that's the story. A selfless person is never sad. A selfless person is happy. A depressed person thinks too much about themselves. 
a selfless person. In the morning, a happy person lets their godly soul wake them up instead of their animal soul. The animal soul wants to press the snooze button. The godly soul jumps out of bed. Try it. I dare you. Try it one day. Let your godly soul wake you up. Just jump. Just jump. Wake up the morning. That's what the Torah says. Just wake up the morning. Just going to finish off with something to think about this week. You'll see on page 17. Here's my little meditation for the week. And that will be the end of tonight's talk. Let your divine soul be more precious to you than your loathsome body. Do not let the sadness on account of your body interfere or disturb the joy of the soul. Your your soul is trying to get out. It's trying to express itself. This week, my prayer and my hope is that we let our souls truly and authentically express themselves. Have a great week.